What a Woman, conversations with powerful women who share powerful stories. This podcast was created by me, your host, Caroline Lyons, and my friend and producer, Sarah Benner, two mums searching for inspiration. And we hope you'll be inspired too. everyone welcome back to the podcast today we have joining us the wonderful louise carroll a highly experienced consultant psychologist and a chartered member of the psychological society of ireland with over 14 years of experience in mental health in the private and the not-for-profit sector she is co-founder of prism therapy online which was set up to help people in need of mental health support to be matched with the right therapist offering a platform of hand-picked chartered psychologists to select from. She has commendably dedicated a large part of her career to instigate much-needed change to Ireland's mental health system for young people through her work with Jigsaw, the National Centre for Youth Mental Health. Louise is also a very talented musician and the bassist for the well-known Irish rock band that we love, The Blizzards, and she's composed music for film and television. Now, just to let you know, due to some unforeseen circumstances on the day, Louise had to bring her gorgeous Cane Corso Italian Mastiff puppy along to the podcast recording. Um, her puppy is called Stevie, named after Stevie Nicks, which is extremely cool. And you know what they say, never to work with children and animals. But I have to say, Stevie was very good, considering an absolutely gorgeous. But you will hear a few of her whimpers along the way in the podcast. Um, I promise you that is the puppy. That's not me. Um, I noticed, though, I thought she was whimpering along, you know, when we were talking about the pressures on women to always be looking good and when we touched on the menopause. So I kind of thought she was agreeing with us. So she's definitely a feminist. Um, But really hope you enjoy this chat. We covered such a range of topics on mental health and really took a lot of insights from Louise from her experience. So really hope you take a lot from it, too. Well, welcome to the podcast. Thank it's you. lovely to meet you. Thank you for having um, me. Lovely to meet you too. And we ha- we do have, and we must mention our other guests that we have, an, an, an addition that we didn't expect. But it's lovely delight to see your <laughs> the, your puppy Stevie as well. <laughs> Stevie, Stevie came for the ride. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's been very good so far. But well, we've just begun. So uh, <laughs> I know. I'm scared to make eye contact. <laughs> She's looking up, looking for treats. Yeah. But uh, thank God for editing. Yeah. Oh, it's all. Um, so um, you are a consultant psychologist um, and have many years experience in sort of the mental health field. Mm-hmm. I think you've done quite a lot of work with what is now known as Jigsaw That's in right. the past. Mm. So do a lot of good work with, particularly with young people, I think, on mental health. Mm. And I think you've been involved in trying to improve the systems really in Ireland mm. around, around mental health. Mm-hmm. And you've also co-founded the Prism Therapy Online as well. Yeah. Yeah. which is sort of linking up people that are looking for some help with mental health with mm-hmm. an appropriate therapist, which I think is a brilliant idea, by the way. Mm, thank you. Yeah, yeah. And, and that really just came out of really for a number of years being asked if I could recommend a therapist, you know, which, of course, is completely understandable. Um, everybody wants to know that whoever they book is going is recommended, comes recommended, has yeah. had good outcomes, you know, is highly trained, is accredited. Um, and it's not always a given yeah. either. So... 
that was where that came out of was wouldn't it be cool if we could create a platform where mm. I could recommend everybody that was on it mm. so that was the sort of impetus behind actually setting that up yeah yeah it's a great idea mm. yeah and it's brilliant because I think often that it's so hard to take that first step to actually ask mm. for help that mm-hmm. if you then have the difficulty of finding the right person yes. it's an added stress so it's yes. great to try and you know Absolutely. take that burden from people yeah and even for people in the industry you know there's acronym after acronym after different type of therapeutic approach after a different type of training and how are you to know what is going to be right for you in terms of what you're going through so we remove all that burden you know by taking people through the intake assessment which has its own algorithm which is based on all those facts which matches people in that respect so yeah yeah, yeah. thank you for saying that's that. great mm. and and you're also a musician and composer <laughs> i think i was reading you've worked actually in tv and film on yes. um yeah on compositions and of course you are a bassist for the Blizzards, that yes. fantastic band from Westmeath. Yeah. Um, so when we'll maybe come on to touch on that a bit mm-hmm. later on oh. as well. Oh, okay. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, no, I know. I'm hard to resist. That's Stevie's giving me a kiss. She might be able to smell my, my dog. I've got a chocolate lab. So he's, oh. yeah, he'd be going mad now if he was in oh, here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I guess the first thing we were going to start with is the, I suppose the big issue at the moment really seems to be anxiety mm, mm-hmm. this seems to be so prevalent in, in society yeah. really and I think yeah. even though I think we're becoming a bit more aware of, of what might be causing this it still seems to be difficult mm. for any of us to get a handle yeah. on so I just wonder from your experience and, and clients and what you're hearing why it still seems to be such a prevalent problem and what perhaps we can think about trying to do about it mm. You know, this is something that's actually on my mind and has been on my mind for a long time because I do see the escalation of anxiety, particularly anxiety, and across the age ranges as well. And it's something that's always existed. So it's not to say that it's new, Mm. but it is something that I feel... I always like to point out, not like to, but I always think it's important to point out the fact that we've actually never had as much access to information and to knowledge and wisdom about mental health and what causes anxiety and and other types of emotional difficulties. And yet they've never been as prevalent. So what's going wrong? You know, and I think that we have so many platforms that communicate the idea of if you know what you're dealing with, that's the equivalent of solving it. Right. Mm -hmm. Which it isn't. (laughs) But but we have so much access to information that we feel like there's a full stop there. Right. But we never uh, what I see is the difficulty in taking the next step, mm. which is how do we heal that The work you have to do? What's the work that we mm. have to do next? And often we can't or we find it difficult to do that work alone. And we do need a third party to do it or we need a group or we need to step out of the kind of intense life that we're living right now just to catch a glimpse of where it is that we fell off track. So there's a number of different factors at play. But another one that I really find to be, I feel, one of the most serious, actually, is and Jonathan Haidt, he's a, he's a social psychologist, and he talks about in 2009 when the like button was mm. put onto Facebook. Yeah. Everything changed because suddenly now you weren't just sharing the song that you like because you're sharing a piece of you. Suddenly now you're sharing it because other people are looking at it. And you want it validated. Well, it changes exactly, yeah. exactly how or why you post things. It changes why you behave in certain ways. It changes the things that you decide to engage in, how you, it changes your image because everything suddenly is now for the purpose of other eyes. 
as opposed to how you feel or what feels good for you. Mm. Now, one of the things with mental health is that where we feel, where we hit difficulty, actually, and I would say this across the board, where we hit difficulty is when we gradually, bit by bit by bit by bit, move away from who we really truly are. And if we haven't yet discovered, if we're young, right, and we're 10, 11, 12, and we haven't actually yet even discovered or created who we are yet, because all we're doing is focused on what we think we should be, what we think other people will approve of us for being, how we can be validated by others, then we've actually sidestepped the entire process of adolescent development, which is typical, which is finding yourself, which is exploring, which is hitting walls, feeling the pain associated with that. Checking, is that right for me? Mm, This doesn't feel right. I'll try on something else. Does this try on and feel better to me? Yes, that does feel better. And I suppose we, we are definitely seeing a rise in anxiety in young mm. people, children, and, mm. and actually increase in, me- in medication as well. Mm-hmm. So I suppose this is really coming from this problem. Yes, um, I really think that's a serious, I mean, it's a really serious issue, as we know, right? And, and this is what the CAMS report is about and found. And this is what we really need to look into changing in terms of our system. Mm. Right? But we, you know, and I don't blame anyone. I think it's important to say that, right? But but we do have a system that doesn't know what to do, okay? And and it's encountering young people like never before. I'm getting asked all the time, uh, and I do think COVID has a bit to do with that. Yeah. You know, between the ages of eleven and fifteen, particularly, that the escalation of difficulties in that age range, which is very formative in terms of interpersonal skills, in terms of again connecting with hmm, who am I, what am I. How am I going to explore an adventure in that? How am I going to discover that? How am I going to actually express the curiosity that I have? Mm. And that got suppressed. Right. And that's not going to be without consequence. And, you know, then we have a system who doesn't want to see that. Of course it doesn't. Right. So it's met with these young people who are, again, formative development and they don't know what to do. So they prescribe because we're panicked. We don't want to let a young person walk out the door who is expressing intention to harm or even just feelings about self-harming. We don't want to let them walk out the door with nothing, right? Or with a long-term appointment to something that may or may not help in the future. So we prescribe, Mm. you know, so uh, I don't blame that, but I do blame the fact that we've sat on the same system year after year after year after year. We have half the amount of funding that we should have for mental health. And Actually, that's not even if that six percent of funding went into a better system, we'd be going somewhere. But we throw the same funding at the same system over and over again, and it doesn't work. Yeah, and I suppose there's the other system we're fighting against, which is these big technology companies that have no incentive or desire to change anything because they make too much money. Exactly. So the onus really does then come on us on how we're going to manage ourselves, and particularly when it comes to the connection and mm-hmm. with screens and yes yeah social media that's it and sometimes i refer to social media as the or let's say the battle <laughs> with social media as the david and goliath battle battle mm. you know which is goliath inevitably will win if you just look at it at face value right because he's whatever 10 times larger right he's a giant and mm. um, david is completely imbalanced and has a disadvantage right so so what do you do Okay, we found Goliath's weakness. He was blind, right? Mm. So that's how David won. And I do believe that social media's weakness is purely if we disengage. Mm. 
that's yeah. that's the but how how do we get our young kids to disengage but you know the yeah. reality is is that it's their life for a lot of them isn't it yeah like absolutely. they just and and it's it's not that i'm saying that is that this, this is the sort of the elixir and the you know the easy result it's not it's by no means is it but i suppose it's just to highlight the fact that this is a la- this is a serious force that's pointed I and mean, tristan harris talks about it as a supercomputer that's pointed at our heads and we will never win that, right? Because it's always anticipating your next move based on your previous moves. So it's not that uh, there's no solution in what I said, only for this is a hugely powerful thing. And systemically, we need to decide what we do when we're moving forward. You know, and I know this is just something that I know schools in Greystones are doing. They have banned all phones up until 12. No phones in the schools. So, you know, it's... I do see difficulty. I do see stress. I do see anxiety escalating with young people Mm. and what's going on between them at a distance, removed, remote through the screen is really quite terrifying. Yeah. It's toxic, really. Mm. Mm -hmm. Um, And if if someone in your circle of family is quite anxious, is it like you might see a correlation in higher anxiety among your, your, your parents or children or siblings? Yeah. There is, absolutely. And, you know, this is the age old debate around nature or nurture. Right? And it's it's it becomes about behaviours. And as we grow up from babies into toddlers, into young children, right, into adolescents, we're always watching. We're watching, we're watching, we're watching, we're witnessing and we're receiving. So we're on the receiving end of behaviours, of mm. thoughts, of feelings, of the way people deal with conflict right we're on the receiving end of how people deal with their own stresses we witness all of that and we integrate it right and you know we talk about the inner critic you know when we're when we're older and we're adults and how that inner critic plays out but but really what we're talking about is the inherited critic you know what we witnessed previously in terms of how people spoke to themselves people close to us and it's not always just parents it could be anyone close to the family other adults that we witness frequently and, you know, this is what we often untangle right in the therapy room is who is that voice? Is it your voice or is it someone else's voice? Is it a voice that you have? We call it the introject that you have actually embedded or integrated into your psyche. Right. And this now colors how you view the world, but also how you view yourself, you know, and, and that's what we're actually tackling is, is what people have brought into themselves based on what they've seen in the world up until this point. Mm. And it's difficult to unpick that until the person actually arrives and wants to. Can can you do you think it can be fully unpicked ever? I do. Mm. Absolutely. God, yeah, absolutely. I, I think it it doesn't happen overnight at all. I think it's not linear either. You know, I think we make progress. I mean I you know, I obviously had to do it too. We all have to do it. We make progress, we fall back again. We make progress, we're in a scenario that's similar. And it works, but we fall back again when we meet a new scenario. So we learn how to integrate new ways of being. And what I really think is core at the basis of that is what's our relationships with our thoughts and feelings? You know, because no matter where we are or the situation that we're in, it's how we feel about it and how we think about Mm -hmm. it that dictates what we do next. Right. So if we can alter that so that the thoughts and feelings don't hijack us in every situation that we're in, then we have a chance to do something different. Mm -hmm. And if we're doing something different, we can change our lives. Yeah. 
Okay. I suppose coming on from that, I want to talk a bit about confidence mm. um, and, and I was linking it a bit as well with imposter syndrome, particularly in, in women. I was at a Network Island conference last week. They were, they were opening a new branch in Kerry, a room full of really great mm. women, some entre- entrepreneurial. Mm. But a lot of the talk was around confidence mm. and that I mean, some may have had gaps from work and coming back. Obviously, you naturally need to build confidence yeah. back. But there's this, this genuine lack of confidence. Mm. So I wonder, again, from what you observe, why perhaps women despite greater equality and moving forward that we still we do just seem to naturally lack that confidence mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. we have this imposter syndrome more so I think than than men yeah and mm. you know I I mean sometimes I think is, is it even w- worth talking about it because we're in terms of where it comes from at its root because we're so used to knowing this and it's intrinsically in our fabric that we that women were raised in a way that they have intrinsically more care more empathy more consideration for others and when that comes before accelerating your own needs then it's going to be difficult then suddenly to be in a position where well actually I need to listen to myself my gut my instinct and take action again in accordance with that as opposed to how's everyone else feeling yeah (laughs) are you you okay with that if I do that Is is this okay if we right and so that naturally filters in to the choices that we make and if 50% or even 30% goes on that then it's less that goes mm. on the dynamic persevering pushing forth um, you know and believing in yourself mm. but also there's an intrinsic sense that we need to prove ourselves because maybe this wasn't our original role you know and um, again this is something I've dealt with for a huge part I'm, I still do you know and it, it does come into me but you know, the other thing I actually will say about that is that I do think it's quite proportionate to humility. <laughs> I think that the higher the humility, the greater the propensity to actually check in with yourself and think, is this OK? Mm. <laughs> yeah. is, this, is this too much? Is it enough? You know, how are they feeling? And I, I think humility is a wonderful thing. How can we raise more... Um, resilient and confident girls but the young people in our lives daughters um, you know nieces sisters mm. um and maybe does it link a bit back to what you're saying about it's how we we talk to ourselves mm. how they see us I mean, sometimes i know i i don't back myself so when yeah. my daughters don't then i can't be too hard on them because they're not seeing me always do it mm. so is, is that part of it or do you have any other thoughts on how we can instill more confidence yeah. in younger women i think that is a part of it you know and, and it's you're dead right. You know, again, it's what what are we witnessing? You know, and if we witness someone being hesitant for maybe good reasons, too, it's not necessarily bad reasons, as I say, well, you're more likely to check in with yourself and be hesitant as well. And but that said, the flip side is seeing somebody barreling in arrogant, headstrong about what they're doing and not checking in with themselves. Mm. We don't really want that either. Mm. <laughs> you know, and it, it is the very we know thing. those people. <laughs> well, exactly, yeah. And it is the very thing that we criticise then in maybe people who do that. So what I what I actually think is the ideal is a little bit of a balance between the two. So, ha- so being able to have or foster the confidence to back yourself. I like that phrase. You know, how do you back yourself? In a context and an environment that can be quite tricky or challenging, how do you come home to yourself and at least buy into that? Not arrogantly, be remain or remain open to feedback. Remain open to learning. 
And and I wonder actually about that even as I speak, right? Because if you're remaining open to learning, then it means that you have to stay open to refining what you think. Mm. <laughs> and I think refining what you think is one of the ways in which we maintain relationships, but we also get ahead. And with that, I think it goes hand in hand with a little bit of doubt. And actually, it's making me think how this is what we've kind of been going in the opposite direction in society lately because everyone's so fixed on what they think and their opinions and they're not willing to be open to new ways of thinking from others. So I think that's spot on. I totally agree. And I I do see that. And that frightens me in that respect because, you know, look, we've never had as many platforms on which to express an opinion about things we know absolutely next to nothing about. But because we have the opportunity to express an opinion, we do it. And we are saturated. We're swimming in other people's opinions. Mm. And we can't decipher what's real and what isn't. And, you know, no wonder we're feeling anxious. It's noise, 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 noise that we're being sort of almost assaulted with. But I heard a fact the other day, a stat, that only 10% feels wrong now that I'm saying it so <laughs> take this at face value when you need to do maybe double check it but only 10% um, of Americans are on Twitter and yet you know uh, we have this sense yeah, that we it's, assume this is uh, yeah, the American view from, this yeah, is the American yeah. view this is the town square right? mm. this is where everything is pontificated and preached and and this is this is what's leading the way or and this is what's depressing us, right? Because it looks like it's leading the way. But in actual fact, if it's just ten percent, yeah. yeah. Wow. How misled we're being in terms of our perception of what people value, you know, and and, and also what people weigh in on. And quite li- likely often as well, the people are more likely to weigh in on things are the are the people that actually don't know about it or actually wouldn't even take the time to learn about it necessarily because the people I know who are the most learned the most wise shut their mouths so true Mm. yeah and just while we were touching there on 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 younger people again and Mm. and anxiety I I wondered you also observe that I mean this is something Sarah and I are conscious of as as parents that we all there's a lot of overparenting going on now and, and micromanaging yeah. our young people as well yeah. that might also be creating more anxiety but do you see do you see evidence of that as well of the overparenting yeah. kind of snow plowing is what they're using the term i think in schools that parents are just kind of snow plowing through trying to sort kids problems and mm-hmm. yeah yeah and i do see it yeah and uh, you know again it kind of like the system there's no there's no one person to blame about that because again we're overwhelmed with a sense that young people are not coping right and associated with that then are adults panicking and you know if we know of ways or can find ways to solve our kids problems well we feel like we should do it right Mm. because why do we we don't want to see our young people struggling we don't want to see them in pain we don't want to see them hurting when we know the landscape has never been more challenging for them so we do what we can to try and airlift them out of the situation. But is it too much, do you think, sometimes? Like, will they be able to cope then when they get to secondary school, say, if we're intervening at such a, a young age? No. No. And, you know, that's the, that's, that's the difficulty. I think it's a balance. It's not that you don't help your young people or you don't give them some support or put your hand on their back. 
I think as adults collectively, it's about understanding how can we be more comfortable? How can we manage our own anxiety about young people's difficulties? And how can we be there and provide a container to support them to find solutions themselves? That's our role, is to, is to be that container, to be that scaffolding around them as they navigate it themselves and allow them to feel the pain, allow them to feel the anxiety and ask them what that's like. Explore it with them rather than fixing it or solving it. You know, and it is a delicate balance, right? Because we're terrified. Parents are terrified. Mm. You know, young people are saying that they don't want to live anymore. Yeah. I, you know, I feel for parents in that respect. And then they go to the doctor and I feel for them too because, well, they can't let them walk out that door knowing that that's what the young person has said. You know, again, funding systems, how do we create, how do we wrap around young people? How do we wrap around each other in the community such that there's somewhere else to go? You know, that we can, and again, this interpersonal difficulties with young people that they've been through. If they haven't developed those skills, then it's even more difficult for them to navigate how they feel, these huge, intense feelings. So it's, you know, I do feel something like this always needs to be a collective response. It's not one service that is going to solve it. It has to be collective. And mapping around young people and not expecting just parents to actually cope with it either. It's it's everybody. You know, it's a community. Um, it, it's... It's also something to navigate as opposed to a problem to solve, if that makes sense. Mm. And maybe being honest, if you don't have the answers, you, and you can be honest with your, your children yeah. about, and even I've got better at, if I, you know, if I lash out or I'm upset and it's, I think I, I should I should hide it from them. I, I'm mm. often now a bit more like, I'm, I just, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, actually mm. I overreacted there and it's because of this, this and this. Mm. And, tr- you know, so that they might be able yeah. to sort of verbalise it for themselves as well. Brilliant, absolutely, that's it. It's not that, it's not that we won't fail. You know, it's not that we won't trip up. It's not that we won't do things wrong. But if we have humility again, right, to actually say, oh, I messed up and this is why. And this is what I didn't mean to do. And this is what I should have done. That's it. That's it. That's Mm. all we need to do. That's how people learn. It's how young people learn, you know, and also gives them confidence. It's okay to make mistakes, too, because you can come back from it. Mm. And you also don't persecute yourself if you make mistakes. Right, and don't swim around in the shame <laughs> associated with making mistakes, which is obviously historically quite an Irish thing. Mm. Right? Yeah. 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 And I suppose there are a lot of cultural things embedded, isn't mm. it? I mean, it, you, it, there hasn't been a sense people wanted to be honest about what feeling bad. Everyone's trying to put on this. So that everything's fine. It's fine. You know. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a funny one, I think, though, because online, the, the trend of being kind, you know, and that phrase that it's okay to not be okay right and I feel like there's a full stop after that you know okay but what does that really look like and do you really know how to be there for someone who isn't okay I think again it's it's like all this information and then the full stop but what happens next you're telling people it's okay not to be okay but now what yeah I suppose it's hard to know what to say you know if somebody is feeling really down Mm. it's just sometimes it's what to say or what to do you know I don't know but but often it's not really anything yeah you know and and it's just being there is it time it's time it's space mostly it's it's here's I'm going to sit alongside you you don't have to speak you don't have to do anything you don't have to answer any questions you don't have have any solutions what we miss with everything being sort of artificially intimate online right is is the space and the human connection with another person 
again, it's not about solving a problem. It's about creating space, space to be silent, but alongside each other, you know, and, and I, these are the skills that I fear are atrophying right? because we're living through screens mm. and it's not that I'm by no means perfect. Right. I, I hate the fact that often I live through screens myself, but I feel it quite intensely and it's growing. You know, my sort of sense that this needs to change, you know, and I, and I don't know how to do it. I don't know what the answer is other than actively making efforts to be in person with people. I mean, look and, at and you guys, in as you're well. here in person. Mm. You yeah, know, this is I much prefer meeting people in person yeah. through Zoom like we've done. But meeting people in person is, is much better, I think. Yeah when there's no dogs with you but I <laughs> but it, you know I think this is the first podcast I've done in person in two years yeah and I've done lots you know so they're all online um, obviously my business is also online which is great you know in so many ways but I mean socially you know at least you know how are we connecting and things do feel so much better in the real world yeah like you meet up with your friends for coffee we have this experience it's enjoyable mm. You spend t- ten minutes scrolling. You, I yeah. always come up away hundred percent of the time, yeah. feeling a bit a bit lower, or yeah. a bit bad about myself. Absolutely, just every yeah. time. Yeah. So because you know, and I love there was some sort of study done with how much you're exposed to on a single opening of a social media platform, or the scrolling, or even just on news or YouTube or whatever it might be. It's so addictive, though, yeah. isn't it? You know, when you're just, I find lately I got into Instagram yeah. and I'm just yeah. literally swiping up, up, up and, yeah. uh, you know, yeah, yeah. take away nothing from it. No. And you come out going, oh, did I block out? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is, it feels like I did. And you're just shown really, I mean, OK, there's some things that are nice or useful or funny. It's just mm. a worry for younger kids, you know, like luckily where we live, we live by the sea and it's lovely and yeah. it's kind of idyllic, I suppose. And outdoorsy. It's outdoorsy. Out. Yeah, yeah, but say yeah. for the kids that, I mean, if you're living in apartment blocks or yeah. city centre or, mm. you know, kind of private homes, you probably don't get that kind of traditional outdoorsy, yeah, messing yeah. around with neighbours. Yeah. Just yeah. the kind of healthy. Yeah. Okay. That's finding, your ad- that, especially your adolescence, like you were saying. Yeah. Those those experiences where you can find yourself in person with other kids and having actual yeah. experiences. Yes. Yeah. And again, navigating conflict or navigating if, you know, yeah. how do you share or, you know, yeah. how do you work out these things for yourself without getting a third party or an authority involved? You know, that's often, and I know American schools are having this issue that everything is referred to the authority, no matter what the issue is, no matter how simple the issue is, it becomes about the authority. You know, and referring everything on to someone who can issue blame or take control mm. of it. Yeah. We're not learning skills when we do Our that. being resilient, we were talking about that. Mm. Like building up our young girls to be resilient yeah. and to know when something's not right, but also to know not to be oversensitive as yeah. well. These things happen. Yes. Y- you know. Yes. The other thing I suppose leading on from that is this obviously the comparison culture that we're into. And I think... Mm. You know, for for Sarah and I, it'd be you know we're, we're starting to get to an age where we just we're all trying to look younger, mm. and then younger women, you know, are they're trying to be perfect mm. and looking like mm. a, a filter, an Instagram mm-hmm. filter. So there's a lot, there's a more more cosmetic procedures going on, and just pressure to look a certain way. And I wonder yeah. what that does to our mental health. What what have you have you seen anything from that in your experience? You know, I that's something that I find interesting myself in general because obviously I'm a woman I feel it I'm aging 
you know, and being in a band, of course, I'm exposed to the same thing. Um, and probably under more pressure because you're in that sort of spotlight. Yeah. Of, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And there's photos and, you know, there's always something about looks or aesthetic or even just, you know, the articles that go up about what you were wearing or, mm. you know, I find that I still can't really get my head around those things, you know, but I think it's the same type of performance aspect is what do I look like from the outside you know and and I think it's okay to want to maintain a certain image to a certain point I think where it tips over or it falls off a cliff is when it becomes obsessive and it actually becomes the reason why you don't do things you know or becomes the reasons why you start limiting yourself in certain ways or you don't make choices or you don't adventure as much you mm-hmm. know because you're worried about how you look um i think it is a really complex issue um and i think it's probably getting more complex the more we're exposed to people who actually well have the money to do something to actually look their best mm-hmm. continuously and maybe we you don't have the money to look your best continuously and all you can really manage is a number seven cream right, <laughs> or whatever it is the latest one that's been advertised and so you constantly feel like you're on the back foot or you're fighting a losing battle until you shift your focus, you know, away from, again, the sort of thumb up, performative, outside, external and into what am I doing? Who am I? And am I getting fulfillment out of the choices that I've made? And to some extent, depending on where you're at in your life, I do think that shifts over the course of your own life cycle, hopefully, you know that it moves into things where oh, that f- are more valuable to you, that you have control over, that you can make choices, whether it's family, whether it's people, whether it's travel, you know, adventure, that that becomes much more important than how do I look today? Am I looking perfect today? How's my hair? I mean, it's exhausting, mm-hmm. quite frankly. Yeah. And I've been through that in a way where it was unhealthy, quite yeah. honestly. Um, you know, where it just everything had to be right my hair had to be right. I mean look at it it's a mess now so you know it's 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 getting past that point where you it just stops taking over your life mm-hmm. and that's the risk and that's again what I would maybe look for in the therapy room is is this debilitating or is just this healthy management of your self-image you talked about sort of really coming back to who you are and I know you've mm-hmm. talked before about you know you have had some big knocks to confidence mm. in the past and had to almost start again from the ground up and obviously I know there's a lot of work involved but would there be any advice again for anyone in that position mm. where perhaps they may have been say in a relationship where their co- mm-hmm. confidence has been taken out of them mm. or you know yeah 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 I think one of the things that probably changed the course of my own life was Stopping finding reasons why other people were at fault and finding my own autonomy and capacity within to make different choices. You know, when we hook ourselves up to someone else, even if it's in blame and even if we're absolutely valid and it's legitimate and they have seriously effed us over, as long as we stay hitched to their wagon, we can never take autonomy seriously in our own life I think that was the biggest learning for me was okay well yeah that happened and it was pretty shit you know and and it was wrong actually as well (laughs) Mm. but do I stay there Mm -hmm. 
or do I figure out ways to make better choices? Right. Do I figure out or do I also understand the choices I made that put me in there? Because there's certain things that I can take accountability for as well, no matter what I've been through. And that was interesting to me, too. I was, oh, OK. Yeah, they, they absolutely did me wrong. But what choices did I make to end up there? OK, it's not it's not that those choices were wrong. It's just that they're interesting right? yeah. <laughs> and they inform what I do next mm. and what I don't do next. That to me was probably transformational mm. and it's not easy to do because to blame others makes us feel better, mm. you know, and, and it, it gives us a reason to stay in that space of I was done wrong. Mm. And as, would you say to sort of move on so you don't necessarily allow those those things to happen again, patterns to repeat that I mentioned the word boundaries mm. earlier. I was still trying to get to grips with what these are and how to actually implement them but was it quite difficult then to start having perhaps having to have certain boundaries in your life I would say I went through a pattern of bad choices let's say <laughs> and thinking I would know better next time mm-hmm. this is before I took accountability and this is before I stopped hitching myself up to other people's wagons but I would keep doing that So in theory, I'd know what to do. But because I actually hadn't changed my belief system underneath it, I would still do the same thing. Mm. (laughs) So until you actually hit that really, you know, that, you know, that bare truth when you hit it in yourself and you think, oh, shit. Mm. (laughs) 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 Oh, no, (laughs) I can no longer Mm. keep doing what I was doing. I see it now. That and it's damn uncomfortable. And it's devastating, quite honestly, at times, too, because you see it and you can't unsee it. Mm. (laughs) And would you say, I often wonder, you know, that we actually have that knowing there the whole time, but we just, Mm. and like you said, until you're ready to Mm. see it there, it's Mm. there, but until you're ready to admit it, yes, it's hard to move on. And I also think that you need to go through the experience and see what it leads to every time as well. So, you know, I think... You know, often I think that we constantly try to change the past Mm -hmm. with the actions that we take. Well, this time, (laughs) well, this time it'll be different. Well, this time. And every time we do that, it's an attempt to change the first time we were devastated by it. Do you think you can change as a person? Do you think you can kind of, you know, the way people say people don't change, you know, can you? Do you think you can? Yeah, I do. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> but it has to come from you, mm-hmm. not because someone else wants you to change or you know, the amount of times I've sat across from somebody who's in therapy because their significant other <laughs> made them go to therapy. Mm-hmm. You know, chances are that's not going to work out so well. Right. But when you're owning something that you just no longer want to be a part of in your own, you know, do you ever get sick of yourself? <laughs> I certainly get sick of listening to myself back <laughs> on this podcast. <laughs> yes, yes. Oh, yeah. That moment, you know, where you just go, oh, I just can't tell the same story one <laughs> more time. You know, I, I just can't live in the same. Yeah. <laughs> Move on. Yeah. yeah. Like, even though it's real and it happened and it's legitimate, even though all those things, I just simply can't stay here anymore. I want to let it go. I want to move on. I want to stop talking about the same thing. I want to have a new story. And it's you. It's down to you. And because of that, you can change. I fully, absolutely, I've changed in so many ways. And very difficult in a in a sort of a 
a sound bite to give advice on how people begin to do that. Mm. And I, I'd say, I guess it's 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 a daily work. It's never finished. It's never finished. But perhaps any kind of real sort of sort of perhaps things people could take away to maybe think about. Yeah. Trying. Uh, it probably relates back to what my biggest learning was again, though. And you know, if you're doing the same thing over and over and you're getting the same result. Take the time to look at what you're doing and see and ask yourself, can you do something different? You know, sometimes I work with couples and, you know, they're in this dynamic of the same fights, the same patterns, the same outcomes, you know, and then when you delve into it, one person gets annoyed because of a history of things and that, or, or one other big thing that's actually at the root of it, but they get annoyed about something quite simple. You know, because of the mess of the kitchen or whatever. But actually, it's about the fact that you have, I feel lonely, you know, and I feel like you don't really see me anymore. That's really what's going on. But now I'm giving out to you about the kitchen. <laughs> yeah. Right. And and now the other partner or the partner is thinking, oh, my God, here you are angry about something that doesn't even matter again. And the way I cope is I shut down. So now I'm shutting down. Now I'm emotionally withdrawing. And now you feel even more lonely. And there's your dynamic that spins and spins and spins. So both people obviously have responsibility in relationship, but whoever's feeling it the most and who's driven to do something different, you can ask yourself, what can I do differently? Can I, can I actually say, you know what? I feel really lonely. Can you say that? <laughs> right? Rather than actually pointing at the things that are easier to talk about. But of course, to say that you feel lonely is inherently vulnerable. And it takes being vulnerable to change something. We have to be. I sometimes I heard some. I keep thinking about it recently because I, I hadn't heard that before. But the way a lobster grows is they have to shed the shell, and then they can grow again. The shell goes back, and and so on. But you know, and that's I think that's just a, a brilliant metaphor for us. We can't grow through toughness and hardness and stoicism. Well, stoicism maybe not so much, but we we can't grow through being so sure of what we believe that we won't do something different. We can't grow through that. We can only grow when we feel and are willing to embrace our vulnerability and actually willing to risk rejection and willing to risk hearing an answer that we don't want to hear. Or failing. Yeah, Mm. yeah. Only then can we actually change something. So always in those situations and for anybody, how do you do it differently? Well, what could you risk doing differently? What could you risk saying? For, For this partner, could you risk staying in the game rather than emotionally shutting down and leaving the room? What would it be like to stay in the game and stay open? Okay, what's really going on? Okay, listen, I'm going to listen to what your grievance is without shutting down. I'm going to ask you a question, actually, about your grievance and draw you out more. Now, guess what? I'm starting to feel heard. I'm starting to feel less lonely. Now I'm starting to feel more connected to you. Okay, and and this is where it begins. So if you're encountering the same problem over and over in your life, ask yourself, what can you start doing differently? It doesn't mean it's going to feel easy to do that. It won't. It'll feel really hard, really difficult to start doing things differently, particularly if vulnerability is involved. But are you willing to take the risk? Yeah. I suppose we've been doing this sort of women's health series and quite a lot of actually different things women experience. There's this element of women having to soldier on Mm, mm -hmm. because they're they're not recognised for for whatever they're feeling, whatever's wrong. They're kind of being, you know, asked off. And... Um, but particularly um, menopausal women. And I wondered if you might have happened to encounter that at all in your, that women coming to you with a lot of problems and actually some of that can be explained by those sort of changes in life. Mm. 
well, you know, one thing I'll say about that is that there's definitely been an escalation of a, of well-deserved and needed attention and focus on perimenopausal and menopausal women. And my God, long have they been in the shadows, you know, where it didn't get spoken about. And they had to deal in silence and quietness and actually still carry on with everything else they had on their plate. Now we have a lot more conversation about it, so a lot more awareness. So it's not that it's new. It's just that we know now that this is something that is playing and interfering, quite honestly, and undermining agency. Um, I, It hasn't come up a huge amount specifically. It's always usually a variable or something that they're dealing with on top of something else in the therapy room. But quite honestly, I'd love to see it as just being the reason why people would come and get support in therapy or whatever it might be, because it warrants it. I mean, monthly hormone cycles and changes can be devastating for people. Never mind something that is a complete life shift. And there's so much emotional transition that needs to happen, you know, over the course of both perimenopause and menopause um, that warrants that specific and focused support you're leaving behind a version of you you know and and that's emotional that's difficult it's challenging but how do you embrace a new version and what's that going to look like and how do you shape it um i was very yeah. finally i was just interested yeah. to ask you know i think it's it's fabulous you sort of have these dual careers <laughs> and um i wondered you know how much you think you know say if you weren't a musician how might that affect your mm. role as a psychotherapist and how might that role be affected if you weren't doing your music oh that's a great question if I was only a musician I think I'd feel I think I'd definitely feel a huge appetite to learn and to actually find my way into studying because I two things I've learned I have to be creative in some shape or form to sort of it's like an appetite Mm -hmm. that exists within from not doing it I actually become quite withered and sunken. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, equally on the other side, if I'm not learning and broadening my mind and constantly challenging myself, I love having my opinion changed. Love it. Like, tell me I'm wrong and tell me why. Amazing. <laughs> God, that's great. You know, I, I feel like like that lobster shedding off the shell and growing again. I love it. I love discovering things that I didn't know before. That's, you know, that broadened my view on again why people do the things they do and I I think I get I think I have a perpetual need to understand people I think I was very soft and sensitive when I was little were you inquisitive yes yeah oh god my poor parents like I'd be knocking on their bedroom knocking I doubt I was knocking (laughs) (laughs) bursting through yeah yeah eight nine ten coming in with any type of question that would have come into my mind in the middle of the night God love them, you know, but I always wanted the answers. I always wanted to figure it out. I always wanted to understand what led people to do grievous things, you know, mm. what led people to not express what they really want. So what does fear do? You know, there just is endless amounts of questions. So I, I feel like I'd only be half attending to what is inside of me if I was only one or the other. Mm. I'd, I'd be functioning on, on one wheel, you know, like mm. instead of two on a bike. It just wouldn't be. I'd be going around in a circle to a certain extent. You know, I think it balances me. Yeah. So yeah, I was going to say, I think that's a really important thing. I know you give a lot of advice also to artistic, creative people because yeah. it is not it is not an easy career if that is just yes. all you do. Yes. Whereas to have that bit of perspective and to keep you a bit rooted is probably a great combination. That's it. 
and I, honestly I use psychology on myself like of course I do <laughs> you know I mean I had to go to personal therapy as part of the training um, but I still do that I, I get supervision too you know to, to support yeah. me with all the stories I hear you know because I have to process that as well but it's yeah I it's sort of like the full expression of who I would like to think I would be is, is the ability to do both yeah yeah well, I think you do both amazingly. Well, thank and you. And it's been it's been a pleasure to to meet you. So thanks so much.